This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Your children, male or female, boy or girl, have to know that they are an important part of your life, that you love them and that they're pretty or they're talented and good. Because if you're not telling them that, they will find somebody that will, and it's not the people you want. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad. This is episode 114. I am your host, Ben Colloy. And if this is your first time listening, you picked a hell of a good episode to dive into this podcast because... Today's episode with Joshua Johnson is just an incredible story of a man who served over 30 years in the U.S. Army, 20 of that being in the Special Forces Green Beret, still has his family on the other side, still has his marriage, has two great kids who have gone out into the world, got married themselves, and it's just a great example of what we talk about in this podcast about building a legacy of family and doing it diligently and recognizing you're going to trip up along the way because there is no one perfect book for fatherhood. And Joshua just provides a great example of what that looks like for us. So without further ado, let's just get started with Joshua Johnson today. And if you want to hear my big takeaway, as always, go ahead and stay tuned for the other side of this episode, and I'll be back with you. Welcome to the podcast, Joshua. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Your story is going to be really good because you said you were in the military for 31 years, and you had a family in that, that thrived, that just didn't get through, you guys were able to get through and everything is still in one piece on the other side of that. So I'm super excited to get this episode out to the audience because I know your story is going to help many military dads find a better way home for themselves. So go ahead and tell us about yourself, your military career and your family life. Yeah. Okay. So my name is Josh Johnson. Uh, Like Ben said, uh, 31 years in the military, just about 32 by the time I retired. I did my first 10 years as a military policeman and, uh, realized the error of my ways and that nobody likes MPs. So I went special forces, did the last 22 years at first special forces group. Um, so, you know, a ton of deployments, ton of trips, uh, away from the family. Um, but recognized that you know, I, I was a much better person with a family than I would have been without. Uh, so my wife and I sat down and came up with some pretty clear guidelines as to, uh, how we were going to do, uh, how we were going to balance between being in the military and, and, and being a dad and, and being a family, mostly based off the fact that she's a better person than I am. We, we made it work. Did you see yourself having a family early in life or was it something that like you didn't fully figure out whether you wanted a family or not? Uh, so Amy and I dated through high school and, and we married young. So we, uh, 
We got married about six months after I was in the military, 18 years old. Uh, didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> a couple of knuckleheads. Uh, a baby came along soon there thereafter and uh, uh, forced us both to grow up a little bit. Probably not as fast as we should have, but uh, faster than those around us. So it, it, it worked out. In those early years, is there something that you really realized that you had to grow up more or what was like those first years like where you realized like this is something that I wasn't doing enough in to grow up? So there, there's kind of a defining moment uh, that, that made me realize that I had to be an adult. I'm what, 49 now and still haven't quite figured out how to do it, but I knew I needed to be one. But uh, so 18 years old, um, I was actually a reservist at the time. I had just come back from basic and AIT. Uh, was working construction. This is Utah in the late 80s, early 90s. I was getting $5 an hour, no overtime. As many hours I wanted, but no overtime. Uh, had a little baby. We were making rent. We were, we were making our, uh, you know, one used car, car payment. Uh, but my son got uh, some ear infections and needed to get uh, tubes in his ears. Didn't have insurance. You know, I was, a, I was doing construction. I was a, a National Guard. They don't, you know, TRICARE doesn't count for the family uh, for that. I uh, ended up having to go on state assistance to get tubes in my kid's ear. And I thought, you know, that's, that's not the right answer. I, I don't need to be, I shouldn't have to be reliant upon uh, somebody else to provide for a, a kid that I'm responsible for. So, Again, 18, not a lot of, not a lot of options. Uh, didn't go to college. Didn't, uh, wasn't, didn't have a great job. It was a fun job, but it was, you know, it was five bucks an hour, which again, terrible money even back then, but, uh, we were able to make it work. So I, I, my wife and I sat down and said, Hey, we're going to be on welfare. We might as well earn our welfare, <laughs> join the army and get TRICARE insurance. Uh, and so we went active duty from there. Uh, the thought at the time was, Hey, you don't, you don't want to make this career. What do you want to do in life? Well, cop seems like it'd be a cool thing to do. Uh, let me join the military police. Um, so it was a kind of a solution just to a, a temporary problem, but then it ended up being something that uh, brought into a whole lifelong journey. Yeah, it absolutely did. So, I mean, the, the military was good to us as a family. It took, this, took us to some pretty cool places. We got to go to Alaska. Uh, went out to North Carolina where we had some family, and that, that was pretty influential for us. Uh, we went to Belgium, you know, my wife and kids absolutely loved that. It was, it was okay for, you know, for me, but they, my wife still says it was her favorite place to be. Uh, ended up at Fort Lewis, um, Washington, uh, was able to take some pretty cool family trips, you know, in and around the area. Uh, we served in Australia for two years. Uh, the kids were a little bit older. They were in college, but I was able to bring them out, you know, uh, for a semester each. And so, as a whole, the military treated us pretty well. What kind of blueprint for family and being a father did you have from your own life? So, grew up in a, in a big family. Uh, mom and dad stayed married the whole time. Uh, good examples. Grew up in Utah. My dad was a veteran. Uh, he was in Vietnam, uh, a wounded veteran at that. Uh, had, was an amputee. Um but was never bitter about it. And it was actually really, really fun of his time in the military. Uh, and so he painted a pretty good picture for me. So that kind of sold me on that. Uh, but at the same time, my, my parents had struggles like everybody else. There was always the expectation that 
as a family, we would find a way to get through it. There was never, you know, never a conversation of, of divorce or separation or anything like that. So I think as far as role models, uh, my parents did a pretty good job. My wife, same way, uh, big family, grew up in Utah. Uh, you know, both of her parents are still alive and they've been married. Uh, we just celebrated their 50th. So that using both of those, uh, you know, as, as guidelines or, or blueprints uh, made it possible for us. And then, like I say, my wife is just, Amy is just the, the most incredible person ever. Uh, willing to put up with a ton of, you know, just the, the, the crap that comes from, from being in the military and deployments and field problems and, and all of that stuff. And while the frequency increased uh, when I was in, in special forces, the additional BS that kind of comes along with it decreased. And so uh, we were able to find a pretty good balance there. When you think about those times as a father, is there a message that you wish you would have had that you could send back in time to yourself? You know, one of the, the big things that I, I see, you know, so I, I made it all the way up to the Rick Star Major in the Army. So E-9, uh, served in, in most positions uh, that an NCO does to include, you know, first sergeant time where you are directly involved in people's lives, you know, when it comes through, you know, marital issues and family advocacy and all that other stuff. So you get to be far more uh, included into things that you probably wouldn't want to be. But, but I saw a lot of guys that, you know, they would go on a deployment, they would come around and, and they would come home and they would immediately demand that they were in charge again. But the problem is situations changed six months ago, you know, Kids were in first grade. Now they're in summer school. You know, mom now has a job. Things now they're riding the bike. Changed with the house. Now they're riding a bike. Just all these things. It is, it is a completely new environment that you're moving into. But it's not the memories that you had, you know, when you left. Things were awesome. Things were exactly the way you wanted them to be. Uh, and you were in, in, you know, you had a position of authority within a family as a father. So my wife and I, uh, later on, developed you know what we call the reintegration plan uh and we were very strict about it and if i could if i could get anyone to to listen to this uh that's still active duty and i you know it's in every position of authority that it was in i would i would i made sure that i at least shared my views it was a it was a four-month transition program uh week number one i was a guest in somebody's home uh and i needed to treat it that way week number two I was a family member in somebody's home, but I wasn't in charge. I was essentially had the responsibilities of kids. Somebody was going to tell me what to do. I was going to be given my chores. Uh, I was going to help out around the house. Uh, week number three, I started to have more conversations uh, with my wife about the why things were happening. Uh, and then week number four, we went back on equal footing as parents. Uh, and that transition program, you know, that mirrors exactly what we do when we, you know, we go in to do a, a rip in theater. Hey, I'm going to get in and I'm going to, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do a right seat ride. And then you're going to do a left seat ride and I'm going to be, you know, in charge, but you're still going to be there. You're going to still be responsible. You're going to, you're going to show me the way things are. And then we're going to, we're going to sign our transfer of authority. And, and now I'm in the seat. Well, if that works for the military, why can it not work for a family? 
we we protracted it out because in my opinion the family dynamics of two teenagers is far harder than the than the tribal dynamics of Afghanistan uh, and so we we opted to go for that you know that four week plan and when we followed it uh, to the T and we did our best it worked really really well those times that uh, it was me that got impatient and, and, and wanted to have more of a say than I probably had the right to, uh, friction ensued. Uh, again, my wife being who she was would pull me aside and say, Hey, we've, we've got an agreement. You're better than this. Stick to the plan. It works. And so, uh, we did. So yeah, if I could, if I could go back in time to the earlier times where, you know, I was deployed or going on a field problem or whatnot, uh, I absolutely would have abided by that, you know, just strictly to a T, you know, and maybe scalable. If you've gone on a 45 day field problem, you probably don't need to go a full month of reintegration, but you know, a, a week or so would have been super beneficial. So you had 31 years to think about this question and I'm interested because you've had to think about it. You, and you built, painted it beautifully because those four steps are the great process in the military and at home life. To the dad out there that says, I know better, why is it so hard for military men to think that the same way they do it at work is the same way they can do it at home? Yeah, because at home, it's the only place that we really feel like we're in charge. Uh, but if we step back and take a look at it, we're not. You know, there's a movie a couple of years ago called The Big Fat Greek Wedding. There's a scene in there where these two old Greek women are giving young advice to a, a young uh, lady that's going to get married. And she's like, the man, he is the head. But the woman, she's the neck. She tells him where to go. She turns him left and right. And if you think about it, that, that, that's 100% right. You can, you can be the figurehead of the family all you want. But if you don't have the backing of your wife to tell you what the ground truth is, uh, you're going to make terrible decisions. So you think about think about your time in the military when you had you know a company commander that would come in or a first sergeant that would come in uh, that would just start throwing a fit uh, over an SOP violation that made sense on paper but didn't make sense on ground. And so the first thing you you, you know you're, you've got animosity towards him and that guy doesn't know anything and he's an idiot and yeah I'm going to do what he says because he can take my rank but but this is crap. And then you've got that first sergeant that comes in and he takes a look at it and goes, hey, here's what the SOP is. Why are you guys doing it this way? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. What can I do to support you? Okay, now you've got this, you know, this military leader that you respect the hell out of and you'll do anything for. That, that works the same in a home. Hey, I'm going to come home. Life is different. Things have changed. Kids have grown up, you know, timelines have changed because now somebody's in, in – in either daycare or dance lessons or football practice or whatever it is. And all these things that you remembered have changed and all the, all the support that your wife has to do in order to make all of those things happen has changed. So until you're willing to get in there and support the ground truth, you're going to be just like that, that uh, military leader that comes in and thinks they know best without having, you know, a, a firsthand knowledge of the problem. So, Again, I tried to look at what I found successful in the military and apply that back into my life. To me, this is like the biggest dichotomy of fatherhood and being a leader. And even just like it's, well, you, you painted it beautifully because what we know about leadership and leading and doing it right and doing it wrong at work 
the same stuff applies at home. It's just our own ego that gets in the way that prevents us from really utilizing some of the same stuff at home. And it's crazy of how many men find success at work, but feel like a doormat at home. And all they got to do is utilize some of the same things that made them successful at work at home. And a lot of that comes true. Yeah. You know, some of the most stinging statements that my wife ever said was, would, would you treat your soldiers this way? Yeah. No, no, I wouldn't. And wow. I can't believe that, that I've gotten to a point where I, where you would have to ask me that. Uh, so yeah, you immediately have to regroup and go, okay, you know, we're, we're part of this, we're part of the U S army, the, the greatest military, you know, organization uh, on the planet and touts to be the, the, the greatest example of leadership development uh, the world's ever seen. And they are right Well, they absolutely are doing some of the, some of the, the finest development uh, of leaders anywhere in the world. Uh, but if we're not willing to take that one step further uh, and apply that, you know, across our full spectrum of life, then, you know, you're only going to be going half at halfway uh, in the military because you don't have true buy-in. And once I realized that and, and, and bought into it, things got better. Now, do we make mistakes? Absolutely. Uh, do we have tempers and do we have miscommunications and all that stuff? hundred percent. Um, but we're better at it when we, when we practice what we preach. Uh, and to be honest, if you, if you can manage a relationship with your spouse and your children, uh, then you can easily manage a relationship with soldiers. To me, it's flip-flop. We work on managing soldiers, but it's really fatherhood is one of the best places to learn leadership because if you can get free individuals that have their own mind and can do what they want and don't have a lot of experience to know what's right and wrong, if you can get them to go in some common direction, all of the, the rest of the stuff just falls right in line. Yeah, like I said, if you can come to an agreement with a teenage girl, you can figure out how to run a squad. Yeah. There's another question I want to ask about your program when you were connecting that something that's also hard that I've through all these interviews of talking to dads is figuring out what life was like while they, while you were gone. Cause life happened and there were moments where your son maybe needed you to ask girl advice or your daughter had a problem with a boyfriend and you weren't there. What were some of your favorite questions to kind of open up conversation and understand what life was like when you were gone? Before I answer, let me talk about kind of what we did when I was home and then how that kind of pushed over when I was gone. I, I found something that I could do with each of my kids, and I have two. Uh, my oldest is, is um, my oldest is, was my son, and then or is my son, and then uh, his little sister, my daughter. Uh, I found something that each of them liked to do that I would do with them, uh, and when we were doing that thing, it was a safe space. We'd have conversations. They could ask questions. They could they could dig in, and it was. It was essentially, hey, if it happens during this, it, it stays at this. No matter how angry it makes me, uh, I, I've agreed that that this is an open conversation, and it's not it's not an authoritarian motion, uh, you know, position or anything like that. So, uh, and look, there were times that 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 my kids told me things during this safe time that. 10 minutes after that event would have gotten them grounded, but because they came to me and said, Hey, I've got this problem or I did this thing and I need help out of it. We can do that. 
and it, and really it was that it was that opportunity for them to say, you know, Dad, I need you, or I need your help. So fast forward to uh, uh, you know all these deployments. <laughs> Early on, I mean, some of those things were miserable. I remember the first opportunity I had to do uh, a VTC with my family. We had seven minutes per soldier on one 10-month deployment. Uh, and there was somebody running the VTC booth on my side and somebody running it on their side. You know, and so there was no open dialogue. There was no conversation. It was, hey, how are you? How are the kids? You look beautiful. You know, things are fine here. But then, you know, you fast forward and you start finding ways that you can communicate. And that became a priority. Uh, find time that you can have a conversation with your family somehow, some way, at least, you know, every other week, uh, if not better. You know, joining Special Forces, I had access to a lot of different radio and communication systems that Big Army didn't have at the time. So that made that made life a lot easier. Thank you, U.S. taxpayers, uh, for for my Iridium phone bills back to my family. But uh, I always made sure that I could get them on the line and say, hey, you know, we're at your event. With my daughter was jogging, with my son, it was, you know, goofing off. But it was, hey, we're at your event. What do you need to talk to dad about? Uh, and they had that opportunity and they could just say it. And then we go, okay, do you want me to do anything about this? No, I just wanted to talk about it. Okay, I'm going to hold it here. And it it worked out because I had I had set the conditions for that type of communication to happen. I want to point out to every dad what you just said to make sure that it's crystal clear what they're talking about or what you're talking about is providing a blueprint of connection. I recently had a, a teenager reach out to me on Instagram. Never had it happen ever. And it was kind of just like taken back by it. And he was reached out to me saying that I miss my dad. He's been deployed for nine months and I don't know what to do. And the advice I gave him was figure out what you used to do with dad when you used to feel really connected to him. And then try to do those things again while he's gone because his memory is still there in that event. And that's how you can provide connection to that memory. And the same thing would have worked even if you never came home. If something would have happened to you and the worst thing happened, you had a blueprint of how to connect with dad and ask the most important question they have to ask. What would dad do? And whether you're here or not, they had that feeling that they could go to and navigate to. And I'm sure probably to this day, they still probably utilize this tool of like, what would dad do? They go to it. And whether you're there or not, in their mind, they probably have this mental exercise of they always know how to go back to connect with what dad do. And to me, when you create that blueprint of connection, that's how you can also create a legacy that goes on well beyond that your time on this earth, well beyond when it's your kids and their adults and your, your time is done, is they always still remember how to connect with dad. And that wisdom gets passed down from generation to generation. And you may no longer be here to actually have those conversations. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, I know far too many families that where that exact situation happens. Um, and hopefully they, they, you know, they had established something like that. We, uh, we had a few gold star families that, uh, first special forces group took pretty good care of. And there were a bunch of teenage kids that, uh, you know, would have questions about their dad and, you know, wonder things about him or, you know, what, what kind of person was or how we would do this or how we would do that. And it was, it was pretty obvious that there were some people that did not have as close of a relationship as they wanted to, whether it be, you know, just the fact that the kid was far too young uh, or that they didn't make it a priority when they could have. 
I also want to highlight something because I'm probably pretty sure the answer is that you did a good job of this and your kids know who you are. And it's been a couple of different interviews that I had that it became very apparent that one of the like the worst case scenario for a fatherhood or father is that you've passed from this earth, your kids are at their funeral, and they learn who their dad was for the first time from a friend that shares a story about your dad. And you're like, why didn't he ever share that story with me? Why didn't he ever reveal this other side to him that I never saw? And it's already too late. And then you just gifted your kids this big guilt because they never knew who dad was. But it's those connections that you did that I'm sure that they know who you are as a person. They know some of the stories. They know what dad ticks. And to me, like one of the worst things we can do as military dad is withhold who we are because we live such a rich life in the military. I mean, you got 31 years of adventure and adversity and just dealing with crap. To me, that's a rich life that if you can gift even a small margin of that type of wisdom to your kids, they will go into the world as that much better of an adult and understand how to help change it because they've learned from your shortcomings to help maybe prevent them from being their own shortcomings. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's interesting. You also have to realize that, you know, kids kids are developing into, into people. They're not your kids. They're, I mean, they are, but but they're they're becoming their own their own people. In fact, I remember I came back from uh, one of my trips to Afghanistan and I was pulling into the neighborhood uh, as my son was pulling out and uh, he had been at work and he was, he couldn't come to the, for whatever reason, he couldn't come to when I was getting off the airplane. And it happened so often that, you know, if he, if he missed one, like it was, it was uh, understandable, but we both jumped out of the car and gave each other a hug. And he had, he had grown into a man, like in, in one six month deployment, he'd, he'd gone from being a skinny little teenage boy uh, to just being a, 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 a full grown or at least full size man. And that's when it really hit me that, man, there's people change uh, while you're gone and, and things happen uh, in your absence. And you've got to recognize all the, all the newness that they've grown into, but it's kind of a shock to you. So yeah, it. Uh, you're right. That blueprint connection. That's that's super important. And look, I, I wasn't perfect at this, and we practice it and we and we tried it, but we we made our mistakes. You know, there's there's plenty of times where Dad didn't act nearly as as well as he should have. Uh, and you know, now that I'm, I'm, I'm I don't want to say the backside, but at least you know, both my kids are married. They're you know they're starting their own families. I've got massive levels of regrets for, for some of the, some of the things that I either said or did or didn't emphasize uh, enough to be honest to me, missing cues from my kids holds a greater level of guilt than anything that ever happened in the military. But it was because, you know, of, of what my position is and what, what my position stands for. I was their dad. I was their father it was my job to take care of them and look after them and develop them uh, before I did anyone else. Right. My, my posterity, you know, my responsibility. And when I miss those, miss the mark on those, it cuts pretty deep. What you're also speaking to is the dichotomy of military service. And which is also a trap for military dads, because it's a noble service, people serve in their country and no one's going to call you out for doing it. Because And then there's also a lot of ways you can hide in your military service and come up with ways that like, I need to do this because it's what I need to do. And then you sacrifice your family time for the sake of serving your country. 
and you almost can by hiding in that, then you're you're even magnifying what you also talked about of not creating those connections. And it's a it's such a hard thing. And when I've switched or what the big things that I've learned on this podcast is the biggest thing that most military veterans get stuck on is they focus on the legacy of their service, whether they're serving, they always think about like, what's this service going to mean? But it's really about what is the legacy of my family going to mean? And when you make that switch, then all your different priorities change, your focus changes, what really matters changes. And it led me to this colloquialism that I've come to call it that what we do on this earth is important, whether it be a sergeant major in the army, but what we leave behind is 10 times more important. And very often we don't have it prioritized that way, that we always have it working on these mountains that we're climbing, this stature that we're climbing, this status that we're trying to get. And I mean, think of the CEO, how many CEOs or even how many generals out there that climb all the way to the top and there's nobody there with them. Either their kids don't know them. I've heard stories that generals didn't first get to know their kids until they joined the military and they had something in common to talk about. Like to me, like that just breaks my heart because there's just such a missed opportunity for the father to really know who his kid is and his kid to know who his dad is. Like it's a, it's a hard, this is a hard podcast and a hard mission because there's so many different uh, shades of that fatherhood within the military. Yeah, there's a uh, there's an example right now. A former commander of mine, and I'm not going to go into too many details, but uh, he was skyrocketing uh, towards being a general officer. Uh, and he recently flamed out in a big way. Um, and it was because he couldn't he couldn't prioritize. Uh, he just gave far too much to the military. And when there, you know, suddenly was a, a, a family demand uh, he didn't react well and it, and it went terribly wrong for him. So, you know, I always try to tell my guys, it's a sliding scale, right? There's going to be times in the military where I'm going to ask you to give 90% army and you can only give 10% family. Uh, but there's going to be times that you have to prioritize 90% family and 10% to the military, you know, take leave, take a vacation, get on a four day. If there's nothing to do, go home. And I know that's, that's very unlike what uh, a lot of the military, you know, serves, right? You're, you're there from 630 to 70. Military pours a very long, a, a strong Kool-Aid of this is just the blood that you are. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I had a boss one time that said, hey, if you don't have anything to do, just sit over there and do nothing uh, until, I, until it's time to go home. Oh, what a horrible thing to right? say. But we see that, you know, you can talk to anyone in an infantry unit and they'll tell you, I'm going to work really hard until about two o'clock and then I'm going to go sit in the barracks room while my platoon sergeant has his first sergeant meeting and then my platoon sergeant has a squad leader meeting and my squad leader comes down and panic sets in because one truck wasn't cleaned and so we got to go sweep out the motor pool at 1700 even though I've been doing nothing for the last three hours right so uh when I got into a position where I could manage that I I I, I didn't let that happen right it just if if I could if I could not do that to a soldier, I wouldn't do that to a soldier, you know. And you know, as a first sergeant, I remember going going to the uh, motor stables because sergeant major found some truck that was offline, and he demanded that you know headquarters company go and fix their stuff. I'd send my guys home. We were done for the day. So there I was, first sergeant Johnson out there lining up trucks until you know eighteen hundred a night. But guess what? It was an easy task. It was no big deal. And I, I had soldiers that, that weren't just angry because they had been sitting around waiting for leaders 
to give them direction. And I just time and time and time again, I'd talk to my soldiers and that that would be the complaint. Uh, so take that, take that home. Don't make your family wait around on you. If you're unavailable, give them the freedom to go do what they can and should be doing. And then you get lashed up to them, not the other way around. If I ever have the opportunity to speak into any component of the military, as far as in, in front of a company or anything, the very first story I'm going to lead with is my worst dad moment. And that worst dad moment is going to do two things. One, I'm going to prove that by sharing the most vulnerable story of who I am, I didn't explode. Because often that's where we feel as, as vulnerability is going to lead us in the military is that this person is going to explode on the wall and there's going to be a vulnerability on the wall. And my emotions are going to be everywhere. And the second one is I want to share that family matters and that we all have a family and we often have an ignorance to our leadership. Just what you're talking about that. Yeah, their family life doesn't matter. And the Marine Corps has a bad joke. That's true, but it's bad that if the Marine Corps wanted you to have a family, they would have issued you one. And I'm sure it's probably similar versions of it in the special forces. It's, uh, it just speaks to that. We need to acknowledge that people have lives and we have a mission to serve, but we, if we don't do that, I mean, that's why people get out of the military is when they get done, they get tired of playing games. They get tired of people just abusing their leadership because they can. And that just leaves bad taste in people's mouth. And when you talk about when you're talking about the, the, the sliding scale, I've often equated it to a credit card that you're borrowing time from your family in some instances, but you can pay a credit card back and you can pay it with interest and you can get it back down to zero. And so when you know you're gone and when you're at 90, 10, you know that when you're back, you got to make sure you're doubling down and that you're really there and making sure that you reinvest that time that's gone. And there's probably moments that you probably had where that something was the last time with your kids and no one told you that. And then one day you're like, oh, that was it. It's never happening again. And if someone would have told me, I would have paid attention, but they didn't. And now it's gone. And those moments happen in fatherhood every day. And you're never going to know when that's the last time you put your kids on your shoulder, the last time they tell you to tuck you in or read one more book. And one day it's just going to be gone and no one's going to give you a warning. And you're going to like, well, if someone told me I only had two left, I would have paid attention. Well, that's not how fatherhood works. Absolutely right. You know, it's, I, I try to tell all dads with daughters, uh, in, embrace that completely because very quickly, uh, you know, when, when they're little girls, every time you come home, they run into your arms and you're a hero and it's the best thing you've ever done. You know, you're the greatest thing ever. And they smush your face and give you kisses. And uh, and then at some point, puberty happens and it's your fault, uh, even though you didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, and they're angry at you and they don't know why. And they, uh, <laughs> they ignore you and, and they're terrible people to be around uh, and then they need a car. So they come around a little bit right around 16, but it, embrace it for what it is. And I, and I tell, I tell them all the time, look, if you have a daughter every day, you need to tell her she's beautiful and you love her because if the minute you stop, she'll find someone else that will. And it's not the guy that you want saying it. I mean, that, I remember I'm convinced that's when daddy daughter or daddy daughter issues start when you're dating this girl. And it's like, yeah, she's got daddy issues. It's because you weren't there. I mean, there's a statistic that I read in strong father, strong daughter is that like just hugging your daughter is like reduces it by 60 percent that she'll have sex by the age of 12, because feeling that affection from your father 
allows her to be grounded a lot longer than at 12. And without it, she wants that feeling. And if she doesn't get it from you, she will find someone and it will not be. I'm convinced even the dad with a shotgun at the door is the dad that just set the bar for what a man looks like very low. And he's afraid of what she's going to bring home. But if you set it high, I mean, she may get it wrong a couple of times, but she's always going to come to the conclusion like, yeah, that's not my dad. I'm going to kick him to the curb and try again. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely sure. But, you know, I used to to play this game with my daughter every time she'd leave once she you know hit kind of that dating age she'd go to leave the house i'm like hey what's the rules and she goes, dad i want to say i'm like nope you got to say it. what are the rules she's like there's only room in my life for two men my dad and christ and say that's right that's all you need right now that's all you need we'll, we'll take care of everything else and she go yeah 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 and i go what's the other one she goes boys of the devil I'm like you're damn right there you stay away from them and, you know, she'd laugh and go on. I'd make her do it in front of her friends, and they'd laugh and giggle at her. But, uh, you know, when the time came, she chose a good man. She had a, a, a lot of thought uh, into the man that she wanted to meet and wanted to marry and, and start a family with, and, and she chose she chose well. And I, I, I think it's because I, I did my best to set a good example of, of, of how she needed to be treated. And to your wife, like she knew what that, what that proper affection looked like. She knew what proper respect looked like, proper language. And I'm convinced like the bare minimum for my daughter is as long as she can go into the world and now that she doesn't get her value from Instagram followers and likes, like to me, that's like the bare moment. It talks from the moment like you're beautiful and you're and I love you because they go to Instagram to get that because they never had it validated. And as long as she knows that her love for herself comes from the inside, not from the outside, I mean, to me, that's like the the first step into getting someone to like to go out in the world and find someone that is going to be the right person for them is they've got to know that they already have everything they need inside. Whoever they find is just going to enhance who they are. They're not going to fill in the gaps. Yeah, that's that's 100 percent true. And, you know, with sons, it's a, it's a little bit different. Um, they. You know, there's a lot of dads that, that have a hard time expressing love uh, to their sons. And it's different, right? You're not doing tea parties. You're not telling them they're pretty, but you've got to do the exact same things. You got to tell them, "Hey, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Look at the cool things that you that you're doing." You know, and and get involved, right? There's even if it's something you don't want to do, show a little bit of interest into it. So, uh, you know, same thing happens. My my son, he married right. He he absolutely married right, and I I had conversations with him. I said, hey, man, swing for the fences. Go for somebody way better than you. You absolutely need to get drugged up from where you are because that's just the, the, a fact about being a man. Marry somebody better than you are, and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll elevate you to their level. And he's done the exact same thing. And so uh, I'm pretty fortunate. You know, I jokingly said, I jokingly set the bar pretty, pretty low, uh, like, hey, you know, no pregnancies, no arrests by high school. By the end of high school, we're successful as parents. Uh, and, but it was a joke, right? The, the true bar was, hey, did you make good humans? Did you make humans that were better than you? Did you raise good um, adults or did you raise good kids? And you don't want kids. You want, you want adults. That's the, that's the trick. We, we talk about raising kids, but we don't want them to stay kids. We want to raise adults. That is a great statement. That's an absolute great statement. The crazy part is you spend the first two years of their life doing everything for them, and then you spend the next 16 getting them to do it for themselves. Like, it's weird when you think about, like, 
first two years I did everything. And then it's literally an exercise for 16 years. How do I figure out to get them to do it for themselves? Yeah. 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 I, uh, you know, the, the other trick to fatherhood is from puberty until for daughters, I think it's 22 for sons. I think it's about 25. Like they're not very nice people to be around. Like I, I love my kids and, and I wouldn't change a minute of, of, of the time that I had with them, but there were times I didn't like them. Right. Because they're forming their own opinions. They're basing it off of their limited experiences, which is what they're a hundred percent supposed to be doing. Uh, but they, they start to veer away from, you know, your opinion on certain things. Right. Uh, you know, for, for example, uh, you know, my son, we, uh, we tried to get him enrolled in school. It wasn't for him. And we forced it probably a little longer than we should have, you know, going to college and whatnot. Um, and then it, it finally came to the realization that uh, I had to have a, a sit down with him and, and say, because I was giving him, you know, a portion of my GI Bill. And I just said, hey, you're not a viable financial investment for school. You're, this doesn't matter to you. And I'm throwing money away that I can that I can put somewhere else. Um, and that was a tough thing to do. Right. And he he became this, you know the government should pay for college and they, you know, I need to be getting this and it's government handouts and, and all these things. And, uh, and then the best thing that ever happened to him, uh, was my wife and I went to Australia and he didn't have a home to come back to. Uh, and he got, he was forced to learn a couple of very hard life lessons, uh, just cause he did not have the lifeline uh, that he once had on the other half of that, he was, he was proud. He like, he was a, he was an independent and proud person. And so, uh, he didn't call and just ask for a handout. He, he suffered through a couple of things, but he came to the realization that, that you're not going to get anything left unless you work for it. And so here's how, as a father, you know, uh, you've done a good job. When your kids start saying the things that you've been telling them their whole life, like it's their original thought. And then you sit back and you fold your arms and you smile and go, I got you. You don't know it, but I won this game. And then about five years later, you let them know. And they'll start recognizing, oh, yeah, you know what, Dad? You were telling me that my whole life. But uh, I appreciate it. Thanks thanks for helping, helping forge that. And look, your kids will never be you. Uh, and you shouldn't want them to be. But I guarantee if you help them grow into who they need to be, you're going to love them and they're going to be awesome. Like I say, there's going to be times you don't like them. But when when they turn out, you're going to love them. It's going to be awesome. And what you just spoke to right there at the end is why I believe in this podcast so much, because military fathers, like I said earlier, we live a rich life. We know we have so much life experiences built up into us that we can help our kids really figure out who they are in a way that only 7% of the population can do. And to me, if we can do that, we have the ability to create a generation that is just 10 times more capable. Like I've said, like, I don't want my kids to have a better life than me. I want my kids to have a more capable life than me. Capability comes through story and adversity. Military dads are best armed with this. And we have such a, a, a great opportunity to do what you just said. 
to put kids out into the world that truly understand who they are, where their gifts are uniquely met to help make the world a better place. And that is, to me, the best reason why military dads need to come home and recognize that our family is our legacy, because you're talking about generational impact and measured in not just decades, but centuries, because one dad decided to be a good dad and come home and his kids decided to go out in the world and change it. Like one dad can do that. Yeah. And it's it's a tangible generational uh, legacy, right? That is your family. You, you can develop soldiers all day long, but in, in three or five years, they're gone. And you're probably going to see them on Facebook and you may run into them in the PX, you know, six years later when, you know, your privacy opportunities aren't. Uh, and there's going to be a little bit of pride there, right? But at the end of the day, we all, you know, once we retire, there's a few folks that you, you stay in touch with. Uh, and, but you're, you're out, right? Uh, but with your family, it doesn't have to be that way. So I was fortunate enough that, uh, you know, in SF, we, we, right or wrong, more right than wrong, I would say, uh, we give guys a little bit more of an opportunity, especially if they've, you know, done 20 years, uh, to, to get themselves ready to, to, to separate from the military. Um, I was given some time probably more so than the, than the average, uh, certainly more so than all of my, my Sergeant Major, you know, conventional Sergeant Major friends, but uh, definitely more than I think uh, a lot of other people get just to go, uh, as my boss said, learn to be a civilian. Um, I remember the day, you know, it had been about four or five months and uh, I showed up to, to see one of my friends uh, and he was busy running from one meeting to another and he didn't have time for me. Uh, and I, that's when I realized I'm a hundred percent a cog in a machine that's going to keep spinning no matter what happens. Right. And so I retire, somebody fills my position. Uh, the unit continues to, to march on without me, but that should not be the way it works in your family. Right. If you have to step out for a little bit, you should be able to come back in and, and be an active part of that. And you should be an active part of your family uh, for as long as you live. And hopefully uh, you've established uh, a legacy that 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 will continue that machine. So, yeah, you're a cog in the military. But if you find yourself being a cog in a family that, you know, you're plug and play. And uh, when you're worn out, you've left and, and, and either they've dumped you by the wayside or you've dumped them by the wayside. You've done it wrong, my friend. I love everything that you just closed out there with. And to wrap up this interview, I want to try to see if we can gift wrap a piece of advice to military dads out there. What do you feel like is your best dad advice for another father out there? Your children, male or female, boy or girl, have to know that they are an important part of your life, that you love them and that they're pretty or they're talented and good. Because if you're not telling them that, they will find somebody that will, and it's not the people you want. It guaranteed, right? It's going to be some other knucklehead kid that has an alternate agenda, and we were all boys. We know what that means. Uh, that's that's either going to lead them astray or lead them down a path that they don't want to be. So, uh, my advice to any parent uh, that's in the military: find a way to make a connection with your kids and have daily if possible, uh, or as often as you possible, as often as you can, uh, let them know that 
they're important to you and that they're a priority to you. Couldn't have said it any better myself because I've heard it said, if you want to solve many of the problems in America that we have today, put a dad in every street corner to provide leadership, to provide that stewardship, to provide that grounding that many of the kids need. Because oftentimes when they go find, it could be a gang in an inner city, they will find someone to do that for them. Or they'll find that first person willing to explain something that you weren't there to explain, whether it be sex, whether it be pornography, whatever the category it may be, someone else will explain it to be to them. And the question is, do you want them to be the first one to explain it or do you want you? And I couldn't have said it any better myself. And so Joshua, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom today because it was such a really good, rich conversation of uh, just trials, but then also successes. And then just being able to paint the brush of like, yeah, there were missteps, but you still ended up exactly in a way that like looking back, you're like, yeah, that's just how it needed to unfold. Like there are regrets, but you still ended up in a place that you are proud of who they became. Yeah. I mean, we're all going to make a mistake. It's what you do with that mistake. And that's, that's true in any situation, but it's mostly important with your family. I've heard it said like within the air wings, they use the idea of debriefing after a mission is done in the air. And debriefing is something perfectly aligned for fatherhood because whether you completely messed up or not, we always know how to debrief and figure out, okay, what went wrong? What can we do differently? What did we do to own the part that made the problem happen? And we can try again next time. Like it's a iteration process that comes from military leadership, but we don't know how to apply it at home. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, if, if you, if you can indulge me just a couple more seconds, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the, the other advice that I think did more for uh, our kids than any other thing. My wife made our home the hangout place. Kids brought their friends. They, you know, put a couch downstairs. Here's some video games. Put a couch downstairs. Here's a bunch of movies. A uh, bunch of teenage girls want pancakes at 1130 at night. Get up and make them pancakes, right? Make, make your home a place where people are willing to come to. You'll never be left out. Sit upstairs. Quietly listen. You'll know everything that's going on, and then you can shape your conversation. And there's a safe place that they know they can come to, right? Still have rules. You're still a parent. You've still got to do their parenting. But if you can make your home the hangout place, you're you're one step ahead of every other parent. I'm not sure I like that advice, and I'll tell you why. Because it's more ironic than anything. This past year during the pandemic, our house has became the cool place. There are times where we have like nine kids in the yard and our kids are young. So there's still a lot of bit of parenting that needs to be done when you have nine kids in the yard. And I only have three kids of those combinations. And I'm like, what is it like in these other houses where the parents don't have to deal with their kids? And I've got to parent all these kids at my house. And I'm just like, what's it like just to have it quiet? And we never really had that. And even to this day now in the summer, like our house our garage is always the one they're tearing into. I'm just like, what is it like to not have your garage tore apart or different things broken by the boys in the garage building different things? But also there, you just told me that like, I've got the blueprint to to do it right throughout the next 15 years of my kids' lives as well. And I'm currently already doing something right because we are the cool place. Literally everybody in the neighborhood and there were more kids moving in since over the winter. So it's only going to be even more magnified this summer. And I've, I've been avoiding it or like worrying about it, but it sounds like I just need to embrace the chaos and keep it all together. It'll be worth it in the end, my friend. I promise you that. Well, I appreciate that wisdom there because it, I can't tell you, like there is so many, and my wife really hates it too. She's like, why, what is it? Why do we got all these kids here? 
And it's just like that you painted it beautifully that this allows you to know that they're safe. This allows you to know what's going on. This allows you to know what friends they are, to what behaviors they're doing, to what decisions they're making. And I've often said as well, like, cause I'm the stay at home dad in the neighborhood. So I often, it will be, I've gone on bike rides with nine kids as well, that if you want to start changing the world, start by changing your neighborhood and ability as a father to show up, whether you're playing football with the neighbor kids or whether you're playing baseball or whether you're out riding a bike, you're providing leadership for a lot of dads that maybe don't have that opportunity too. So a lot of dads go out to try to change the world, but the best advice often is just start with your neighborhood and move up from there. Yeah. You want to put it in military terms, humans, you get it. I appreciate that. That's a, uh... well, Joshua, I, I want to get you back to where you, uh, back to your workday. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and opening up and you've definitely got a powerful story. So don't let this be the only podcast you share it on because it's definitely one that other people need to hear to just know that it's all going to work out. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode. As I said in the beginning, Joshua Johnson just provides a great example of how the exercise in marriage and fatherhood is an exercise in maturity and growing up. And in both of those contexts, Joshua just gives a great example of how it's not always going to be perfect, and he's going to have to learn and how to figure it out. But as long as we rise to the challenge and accept the feedback that comes to us, we can go out into the world and be the fathers and husbands that we want to be. And so my big takeaway from Joshua's example is being able to just re-solidify that there are examples in the military and in business that apply at home. There's a little story that he mentioned that his wife called him out and said, would you talk to your soldiers like that? And he's like, no. And that moment where he's like, oh, I did do that. Those moments exist in all the dichotomy that is fatherhood and marriage. There are always examples where you are already executing at work, but you're not translating and correlating the same kind of ideas to your life at home. The language, the communication, we often, in many cases, and I've fallen victim to this as well, where we start yelling at our kids because they don't do what they want them to do. But we wouldn't do that to someone at work. Well, why would we do that to them? If we're raising adults, why wouldn't we treat our kids in the same fashion we want them to be treated and accept to be treated and and expected to be treated when they grow up and be adults? There's just those little micro moments where you realize that the things that you're doing at work do apply at home and you can have the best of both worlds. You don't just have to find success at work and just feel like you're drifting at home. There is a better way. And speaking of a better way, if that episode, if that little brand there resonated with you, if you want to understand how you could bring that success at home to, or success at work to your home, go check out bencloy.com. There is a free 45-minute discovery call there. I always love having conversation with dads and helping illuminate, because often what we need is just a few degree course correction in the right way to get us where we need to go that we're not on the complete wrong path. We just need to twist the azimuth just a few degrees to the left or right, and that can change our entire direction. Go ahead again, check out bencoloy.com. So closing out Monday's episode, I hope you have an amazing week. I hope that you take this episode and Joshua's story to heart and understand that you don't have to do it alone, that there are people out there that can help and 
this story and this episode helped me, and I hope that it helps you. So go out there, have a great week, and I will talk to you guys again on Friday. Thank you.